get your Bibles in your hands. Amen. Greetings in his name. Good to see you, beautiful people. Amen. Get your Bibles in your hands. We're going to start with reading Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. And we're going to read down for the first. Well, let's read the first, uh, let's say, five verses and then we'll come back and read the five, the next five uh, after we talk a little bit all right so mark chapter 8 beginning at verse 1 if you have your bibles let's read it together doesn't matter what translation you're reading i'm reading the new king james tonight in those days the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat jesus called his disciples to him and said to them I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him, how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? He asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. The word of God for the people of God. Somebody say thanks be to God. You may take your seats. I've been dealing this year with this theme, handling life's challenges. And what has been interesting, this is the 22nd iteration of this message. What's been interesting has been the fact that as we look at this particular text, the eighth chapter of Mark, what we enter into is another miracle story now of what God does in terms of feeding people. And most of you who are Bible scholars, and that's most of you here now, you'll notice automatically this is not the same story that was told in previous chapter. It is interesting now that this feeding comes again on this moment at this time. It comes after we've just had the arguments in chapter 7 about what's clean and what's unclean, what's holy and what's not holy. And now all of a sudden, this next section begins with this issue of feeding this 4,000. Stay with me tonight because it's interesting now. You have to read this not as just chapter 8, Chapter 8 is put in there for your benefit. This would have not been segmented into chapters so that the numbers and the chapters are there so you can pick out and find places to read. When it would have been produced, the things that ended in what we call chapter 7 would have just flowed right into this chapter 8. So there is no gap as one might perceive it when one sees chapter headings, which tells you that the writer intended that what was stated aforetime in chapter 7 connected with what was about to happen in chapter 8. So that chapter 8 begins to unfold the doctrine and theology of Jesus as chapter 7 was trying to outline for us in the issues of that which was clean and unclean, kosher and not kosher, that which related to who needed to wash their hands and how many times and what would go on. So this chapter follows that argument 
Again, now this is Bible study, and it's not just for inspiration. I want to teach you a little something. So understand now that the writer has something in mind, and every writer gets to tell their story which is why we have the synoptic gospels. If there was one vantage point for telling the story, there would only be one gospel. There are four different gospels, three of which are connected by writings that almost put them in exact use of historical documents. The fourth one begins completely independently, which is the Gospel of John. Here in this segment, he is trying to offer us something. And what I want to tag this with tonight is Jesus wants to deal with people and bless people in a way that other people might not see. So tag this in your writing here. I want to call this section situational misunderstanding. The disciples don't understand what's going on. Leave it up for just a moment, if you will, AV ministry. The disciples don't understand what's going on. They don't understand what's happening. So the situation has baffled them. They're asking the same question almost again. How can we feed this many people? But there's a subtext going on, and that is God is greater than labels. God is greater than labels. And I know you're wondering, how do you get there from this text? That's why you come for the ride. Look at it again. He says that, that he said there were seven baskets. Verse six, you don't have to stand. He says, so he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples, and set before them, and they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said to set them also before them. So they ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now, I don't know how you get seven biscuits and end up with seven large baskets of fragments. God was doing some real multiplying here. Amen. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000. And he sent them away, immediately got into a boat with his disciples, and came to the region of Damatha. Interesting. The first thing that, that, um, that people who study the word would want to check is, is this the same story as the first story, the feeding 5,000? And so since the, both stories occur in Mark, it's easy to check. We already know that in the first story, there's something different going on because it's a different time and place. So that's, that's one difference. We already know something different is going on because in this story, the people have been without food for three days, which means that they have been on a fast for three days. Now, I don't know about you, but I think if I've been fasting three days, I would know about it. Three days they have not eaten. Now this is some kind of revival. The Lord must have really, there must have been smoke up in the camp. Because the presence, because see y'all sit through an hour and a half service and when we say we got dinner downstairs, we don't have to worry, we're going to have folk down there. He'd be like, oh, 
They got food. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And if we don't have food, if they say there's popcorn, that popcorn's like crack. I had to get my popcorn. <laughs> you scratch it. They've been in service for three days. Three days fasting. Now that's totally different from the first story. And, and then in the first story, there's 5,000 that, that God fed. In this one, there's 4,000. In the first story, there are five loaves. In this story, there are seven. Are you following me now? In the first story, they take up baskets. There are 12, and in this one, there are seven. Here, you, you see the differences there. It is intended that we would recognize these are two different stories. The location really helps us. I only, I look at this and I say to myself, they must have really hungered and thirsted after God. As the deer panted for the water, so my soul's are dead. God, they must have been, they had to be on a spiritual high, searching after the things of God to have gone that long. I don't know, uh, the, the closest thing in America we have to any kind of movement of God like that would have been the Azusa Street revivals in California when the Holy Spirit broke out and people began to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues. And that revival went on weeks and weeks and people would come and stay for weeks on end and then they'd leave and other folk would come and stay for weeks and then they'd leave. And that, and for those of you who don't know, out of that whole charismatic movement began, that's where we come with the Church of God in Christ and other Pentecostal developments out of that Azusa Street revival as the worship kept going and on and on and on. I mean, they make the they make party people look bad because they only say on and on to the break of dawn. These folk were three days kicking it in gear. And I don't know, maybe the word of God got good to them. You know, Ezekiel chapter three, Ezekiel in his prophetic word says something that's interesting. Write this down, Ezekiel three and three. He says, He's, and he said to me, son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate, and it was in my mouth like honey in sweetness. So maybe the word of God just got so good. It was like honey in sweetness. Now notice now, we don't have what Jesus was saying all we know is how long he said it and how many folks stayed around to hear it. The psalmist indicates something else like that about the word of God. Psalm 119, verse 103 has a similar word. You know, that's a, the text about guiding my pathway. And oh, he says, Psalm 119, 103, if you have it, you can get it. It would say, how sweet are your words to my taste? Sweeter than honey in my mouth. There's something about being in the presence of God that just does something to you. And these folk have been in God's presence so long that God said, okay, it's time for me to release them. They're not leaving until I tell them they could leave because they have been here three days. If they were gonna leave, they'd have left by now. Uh, service was over hours ago and they're still here. 
But before they leave, the Bible says he has compassion on them, and the Greek word is splinkna, which references the bowels. That's that deep level compassion. He has compassion. He sees them. He says, I can't send them out like that. He says, I need to feed them. He knows that if they leave the way they are, they're going to leave there hungry, and I can't do that. So he tells his asks the disciples, uh, what do we have available that I can bless? Now, these are the same disciples who have seen him feed 5,000, so they got to know he can feed these. But they're not thinking that Jesus would duplicate the miracle again. They're thinking that that was a, a one-off. He did it that one time, it's not going to happen again. I thought I would tell you this. You know, one of the things that happens to believers all the time, this is, this is a reality. When God does something for you that's really spectacular, it is easy for you to think that that's the only time he could do it and that it will never happen like that again. And in some cases, maybe it is a one-off, but I want to tell you, if he did it before, he can do it again. Uh, I know some folk get jealous of other folk when they get blessed. You know, somebody gets some money, and other folk be looking at them cross-eyed. Somebody get a new job, you look at them cross-eyed. Somebody sit on your same pew, they seem like they got happiness and you don't have it. And what I ought to tell you is before you get upset, you ought to realize that if God bless them, it means he's in the neighborhood. <laughs> don't worry about your blessing, look for yours. Don't worry about what they got, look for what God's getting ready to do for you. He'll bless you just like he blessed them. But there's something else in the text that sneaks up on us. And I know you probably didn't see it. If you're not reading real closely, you might have missed it. Because there's, not a, there's another difference here. This is a different crowd. This is not the same crowd that would have been at the last giving of the food. This is a different group. They're close to Decapolis. They're in a more Gentile area. And because he is in a Gentile area, the people who would have been coming to him for this second miracle are not all Jews. The first miracle was done before an entirely Jewish audience. This miracle is done at the very least with a mixed audience and probably more Gentiles than Jews just by where they were and just because of what we said about chapter 7 that Jews didn't like to mix with Gentiles. So if they saw a whole bunch of Gentiles going over there, they might not have been too happy about getting too close. I was at a meeting yesterday, I, I was working, uh, I went to a meeting, and uh, one of my colleagues, another uh, professor came up to me, said he went to the, uh, we have several buildings on campus at the seminary, so he went to the main building, and he walked in the room, and he said, these are not my people. And I said, why would you say that? 
This is his words, not mine. He said, they were, they were much older, very, uh, and he paused, and he finally had to say, older, very white male crowd. He said, and I looked, I said, these are not my people. This was a white colleague of mine, just so you understand. He realized our group was a much more diverse group. And he came across the street over to the Bud building where we were meeting at. It's interesting when you know your peoples. Jesus is dealing with a different group of people. I did tell you the subplot is God is greater than labels. Because if chapter 7, and you're going to have to go back and read if you missed him with my teaching on it. If chapter 7 is right, Jesus begins ministering to Gentiles in a fresh way. So that what we have here in this chapter is the feeding is he is welcoming Gentiles around the table. That his table symbolizes something for us that God takes people into the kingdom regardless of race, regardless of national origin, regardless of who they are. They get to come and sit at the welcome table. This second feeding is open to folk. This is the kind of thing that God teaches us when he blesses the Syrophoenician woman and her uh, plea to him because what he's saying is, I understand. I just love people. And Paul would pick up on this. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3, verse 28. Galatians 3, verse 28. Paul would pick up on this writing, and Paul would say, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Look at somebody, just tell them one love. <laughs> One love, one love, one love, one love, one love. That other stuff doesn't count in God. God is not caught up in that other stuff. There's just one. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one love of people. God loves people. And the folk that are caught up on gender miss the love of God. The folk that are caught up on race miss the love of God. The folk that get all bent out of shape because they want people to look us, they miss the love of God. And I said to you before, and I repeat it again, that in this first section, we have something interesting because it was a situational misunderstanding. The disciples did not understand what God was doing they didn't understand how God was moving. They didn't understand what was going on. And Mark, speaking to a Roman audience, subtly puts across a message that God loves Gentiles. Isn't that deep? That, that, that's one of them undercover messages that, that, that he just said, okay, God, God loves Okay, yeah, you might have missed it there. All right. The next section, because I'm 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 due chapter I'm I'm gonna do chapter eight and, and tonight. We're gonna we're gonna work it out because this is interesting 
The next section is interesting because verse 11 and 12 give us something strange because it gives us what I'm calling sign manipulation. Sign manipulation. And if God is greater than labels, then you got to know God is greater than lies. Sign manipulation. Now watch this, verse 11 and 12. Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven. And, and notice the next word, testing him. But he sighed deeply, almost to a point of a groan, if you will, in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. In other words, can I put it in, in uh, modern English uh, Benoit's vernacular? Jesus said, bump the dumb stuff. Y'all ain't playing no games with me. Because you don't really, you're not looking for a sign. If you wanted a sign of my power, you had it at the feeding of the 5,000. I know you heard about it. You had it at the feeding of the 4,000. I know you heard about it. You had it at the healing of the demoniac. I know you heard about it. You had it at all the healings and the miracles and the blind eyes opening up. You've seen enough stuff about me. And greater than that, you had it at the message of the good news. Now you're going to come ask me for another sign. But I think something else there. Jesus knows, you know, here you are, y'all so deep, and they, they got cousins in here right now. You so deep, you know everything, you done studied everything, you done looked at everything, and Jesus says, you know what? I think y'all a bunch of hypocrites. Um, Matthew chapter 16. Get, get Matthew 16 out. Matthew 16. Here's Jesus' um, word to the hypocrite about signs. Matthew 16, verses 1 through 4. Verses 1 through 4. Matthew 16, 1 through 4. Give us a sign that we can see who you are right. That's really what you want. In truth, let me, let me, let me do that. I'm going to bless somebody right now. You know, if Jesus had cracked the sky open, sent a big SOS in the top, uh, you know, or had lightning come down and slap two or three of them like they need to be slapped. You know, I'm just saying. You, you understand what I mean? They still wouldn't have believed. Because if you don't want to believe, you're not going to believe. It doesn't matter what you see. Because in truth, that's not what you wanted. What you want to do is to keep things the way they are. You think you have ultimate truth, and so nobody else has any sense but you. So since you got ultimate truth and nobody knows anything but you, then you can't be taught. 
because you know everything. And since you know everything, nobody can say anything to you. So Jesus looking at him and saying, you know, come on now. Y'all ain't going to play games. I'm going to stand here and waste my time talking to y'all. Now notice now, he spent three days talking to Gentiles and Jews. With, now if they were fasting, Jesus was fasting as well. And he was the main speaker. He had to be tired. So he does, I spend three days sharing good news with somebody, but I don't have a moment to waste on a fool. Do you see the contrast? Three days talking to Gentiles, but I don't have no time for dumb stuff. If you have a legitimate question and you really are seeking knowledge, I'll pour myself out like a drink offering. That's the words of, of the Apostle Paul. I pour, I've emptied myself like a drink offering. Jesus says, I'll empty myself like a drink offering in front of you. But if all you want to do is to test me, I ain't up for playing no games. Look here. Jesus said, this is, this is again, it's not Bible, this is, this is Benjamin. Jesus says, I got kicked out of kindergarten because I didn't want to go to recess. <laughs> no, just I don't have time for no games. Y'all excuse me. Jesus said, I'm going to give you two things. Hard times and bubble gum, and I'm fresh out of bubble gum. I'm just... I got to <laughs> Matthew 16, you got it? Verses 1 through 4. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to you to accept the sign of the prophet Jonah, and he left them and departed. Now, now, I don't have a lot of time, but let me just do this for you. What Jesus is saying is, if you all were more than superficial in your studying of the word, you would have read prophecy. You would have understood that the sign is already here because I am the sign. I am the Messiah standing in front of you and all you have to do, if you can look up in the sky and tell when it's going to be sunny or cloudy, then you should be able to look in your scriptures and see what's in front of you because the sign of God's move in the earth realm is in front of you. You're looking for something that's already visible. I am the manifestation of God's word made flesh. I am the Logos. 
And any time if you had taken your time and read scripture and worked towards righteousness instead of ritual, you would have learned that I am the righteousness of God before you. Are y'all following? And none but sign manipulation. You see, God is greater than their lies. They just want to lie. They just they just lie. You know, can I tell you the truth? You know, sometimes when you do things in your life, don't be offended by what I say. Unless this is you, then be offended just long enough to straighten it out. Sometimes when you do something wrong, you know you're wrong. Matter of fact, you knew you were wrong before you did what you did. You, were, you, you even, you processed it out, the wrong deed. You knew it was wrong. You just made up in your mind that you were not going to think about the wrongness of it because the rightness of the field was greater than the wrongness of the... I know I'm telling the truth. It, maybe I'm not talking about you. Maybe I'm talking to somebody else. It, this might be for somebody who will hear it later on on YouTube or watch it and listen to the podcast. But, but somebody knows what I'm talking about. I... Uh, <laughs> had a friend who didn't speak good English sometime and she was talking about another woman who she knew was, was, was lying to herself and, uh, and so she said she fooled herself. <laughs> and sometimes she fooled herself. You know, listen, there are times in our life when we have got to recognize our own stuff. God is greater than our lies, greater than our self-deception, and we have to realize that. And here it is, God, Jesus says to them, man, y'all ain't playing no games with me. I ain't playing with y'all. This foolishness right here. Okay. Y'all good so far? Now we're going to close out with the last part of the, these first three pericopes, and then I'll come back next week and work on the end of the chapter. Okay. The, huh? We, we, good, we good? We good? Okay, okay. All right, here, here, here it is, here it is, here it is. Ooh, I love this stuff. Okay. Go look it down. we back in Mark chapter 8. Everybody got Mark 8? Beginning at verse 13. Because here's when God... And Jesus getting ready to, to tell his disciples off. And you know, can I, can I, can I just, we friends, we friends. For those of you who don't know, that's a Bernie Mac line. You know, we family, we family, we family. Look here. I'm going to tell y'all like it is. This is the truth. You know, you can be close to Jesus and near Jesus and still be stupid. So I ought to tell you this, being saved doesn't automatically take away stupidity. Y'all <laughs> ah, pray for me, y'all pray for me. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. Listen, here it is. Jesus goes straight down his, his boys, okay? He's gonna get them, get them sweater. Here, look at this. 
verse 13. We're going to start verse 13, and we're going to rock and roll down to verse 21. I want you to see it all come together. Here he says, and he left them. Now, he's with his boys now. And getting into the boat again. Now, this is just the crew now. This is the core. He's not with the crowd anymore. He's just with the core. Not with the crowd, with the core. He's with his boys. Watch this now. And getting in the boat, departed to the other side. Now, the disciples had forgotten to take bread. Mark puts that nice little editorial note in there so you realize there was a little something wrong. Okay, they forgot to get bread. And they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, here's their logic. And they reason among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Now, stop right there. You just saw me feed 4,000. You think I can't feed you 12? I got a loaf of bread for 12. I fed 4,000 with seven loaves. You think I can't work this out? Why would I be thinking about bread? Are y'all following? They're right, they're right next to Jesus. And you know what? Can I, let me help you right here. This is a blessing to you. Sometimes when you use your physical, natural logic, your answer will seem logical. But it doesn't mean that you have made a spiritual answer. Your flesh may deduce something that is logical. Normally, if someone says something about bread, you say, okay, well, it must be, you connect the dots. But you miss the fact that you're walking with Jesus, the man who is the bread of life. So understand something. Sometimes you're looking through the lens of flesh when you need to be looking through the spirit. And they're too often when you get upset and discouraged because your flesh is looking at a situation instead of your spiritual mind. And Jesus is not talking about your fleshly stuff. Yeah, you angry in your flesh. Shut up. Jesus says, I want to know about your spiritual mind because your spiritual mind will come above what you're thinking in your flesh. Your flesh will tell you fight your spirit will say have faith your flesh your flesh will tell you to flee and your spirit will tell you to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord let, let me do it real quick. The logical mind of Moses and the children of Israel with Pharaoh's army coming up behind them in the Red Sea in front of them their flesh says we're dead but Moses' spirit says, what's in your hand? And he says, a rod. And the Lord says, now raise it up. See, my flesh, it is logical to think that an army is greater than a group of men and women and children who really don't have a lot of weapons. 
But we're not dealing with just flesh. We're dealing with spirit. Oh, come on, we, ooh, we got something in here tonight. Now Jesus started breaking it down for me. Let, let, let it break it down. Somebody say, let it be broke. Okay. Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, 12. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said, seven. So he said to them, how is it you do not understand? Um, in case you were thinking that that the, this was a duplicate miracle and that Mark didn't know what he was doing, Jesus just explains, I did it twice. That they were different miracles. You have to understand. Here it is. I'm going to put a tag on it. Spiritual meaning. God is greater than loaves. God is greater than loaves. And take the loaves as a metaphor for anything physical or fleshly you need. God is greater than loaves. You can take the loaves for the money you need. You can take the loaves to mean any decision that, come, that you have to make. God's greater than that. Any judgment against you, God is greater than that. God is greater than the loaves. There's a spiritual meaning that Jesus tries to convey there. Jesus is telling them, look, you don't have to worry about that. He says, you understand something. When he speaks of the leaven, what he is speaking of is the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He calls the Pharisees what they did leaven or hypocrisy because that hypocrisy brought people away from God. That hypocrisy kept them from serving God. He says, look, you understand that God is greater than that other stuff. Now, 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 you, you have to understand something here. And, 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 and let me see if I can make it. He says the leaven of Herod as well. The Herodians were, were a secular group. They were actually, many of them might have been Jews, um, but they were all partisans towards Herod. And since Herod was over the area, they had a, a, a stake in Herod's maintaining control. So Jesus says, look, I don't care whether these folk here are coming up as Pharisees or Sadducees or Herodians. I want you to understand something. Everything they're doing is of the devil. And he says, I want you to beware of that which that put in that's of the devil. It may seem small, but a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. So don't allow any leaven in or it will mess up everything. You've got to be careful not to accept the 
foolishness of other people who want to keep you in a position where you can't really worship God the way you've been called to worship God, trust God the way you've been called to trust God, or believe in the Spirit of God the way God's Spirit wants to move in your life. Be careful because of the leaven of hypocrisy. <clears throat> he says, I'm I'm not talking about loaves. I'm not talking about leaven. I'm not talking about leaven that you might throw in a beer barrel to make lick. He's, I'm talking about that stuff that people put out into the atmosphere that changed the atmosphere from faithfulness to foolishness. I'm talking about that stuff that people put in the atmosphere that changed a holiness into a hellishness. I'm talking about the stuff people put in the atmosphere that can turn folk negative who were once positive. And I'm telling you, you have to be careful of the leaven. Matthew 16 again, because we're comparing, in case you don't know Mark, with Matthew's understanding of this. Matthew 16, verse 12. Jesus makes it real clear here, in case you didn't get it from the, what I just read. Matthew 16, verse 12. There it is. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. See, sometimes when you read stuff, you can just read the words and understand the words, but if you don't connect the tissue, you'll miss how it all becomes whole. Jesus was using leaven with a spiritual meaning. And he was saying, God is greater than the doctrines of other people that pull you from real worship. And what he wanted the inner core to understand is that you have to hold fast to that which is good or you will lose your way in serving God. Now this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Come on, let's give the Lord a praise tonight.